This is a very strange and frustrating story. To have your family member stolen, murdered, then missing. I'm Connie Walker, and this is Missing and Murdered, Finding Cleo. It's such a mystery, such an impossible task. Please, help us find her. Finding Cleo. If you'd like to hear more, you can find the full season wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Damon Fairless. We'll cap oil and gas sector emissions today and ensure they decrease tomorrow at a pace and scale needed to reach net zero by 2050. That's no small task for a major oil and gas producing country. It's a big step that's absolutely necessary. That's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau speaking at the United Nations climate talks two years ago in Glasgow. That day he made a promise. It wasn't a new promise though. It was one he'd campaigned on in the 2021 election. We're gonna cap emissions from the oil and gas sector and end thermal coal exports for good. We'll give Canadians a it's been a couple of years, but we're now seeing that promise materialize. Last week, at COP28, the government announced a framework that will put a concrete limit on the amount of CO2 that oil and gas can emit. The idea is to accelerate how quickly Canada reduces its emissions. But the strict cap is facing harsh criticism from all sides, including climate activists, the Conservatives, the NDP, and oil and gas companies. My colleague Aaron Weary is here again. Aaron's a senior writer with CBC in Ottawa, and he's going to walk us through the details of the framework and why it seems like no one's happy with it. Hey, Aaron, thanks for coming on. Anytime. Okay, so let's just start really simply. Just Can you briefly just walk me through the, the big points of the framework? What's the gist of it? Sure. So, I mean, it, it, you know, it sort of does what it says on the tin. It's a, it's a cap on oil and gas emissions. Oil and gas emissions have been, or, or emissions from the oil and gas uh, sector in Canada have been rising. <laughs> They're, you know, well above 2005 levels at this point. And uh, the cap essentially says uh, emissions have to start going down. It sort of draws a line, you know, above where emissions were in uh, 2019. <laughs> And then brings in a, a cap and trade system that uh, should reduce emissions, uh, you know, over the next seven years and then going forward. Okay, so for those who don't know, maybe me, what exactly is a cap and trade system? Like exactly how does it work? Yeah, so it's a, it's another system. It's another way, I guess, to to put a price on on carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. The government essentially says, "Here's what the cap is going to be," and then it either distributes or sells uh, emissions allowances. And then uh, the trade part is that uh, companies or facilities can then sort of trade the allowances back and forth, depending on you know, whether they're able to reduce emissions, you know, that sort of allows this this internal market, this sort mm-hmm. of, you know, separate market to determine what the price of emissions is going to be. But the point is that it's there's this cap and it it, it essentially guarantees that emissions can't go above that and, and can sort of guarantee that emissions will decline in, in over the long term. 
Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo said on Thursday that this plan will set limits on emissions without restricting oil and gas production. Oil and gas is the largest emitting sector in Canada. And unlike almost every other sector of our economy, pollution from the oil and gas sector is still going up. We owe it to Canadians and to the rest of the world to address these emissions, as we owe it to our workers and businesses to ensure that Canada's well-earned reputation for energy innovation remains our strong suit for the 21st century. But am I, am I missing something here? Can you explain that logic? How does that work? Yeah, so essentially what the government is trying to say is we're not so much worried about how much oil and gas you produce. We're just worried about the emissions that result from that. So if you're able to reduce emissions by, you know, cutting down on methane leaks or uh, using uh, carbon capture utilization and storage technology or fuel switching or electrification, that's what we're focused on. Uh, They're not going to worry about you know, what the production level, the exact production level should be or or is going to be, they're going to measure progress by emissions. And the, the basic argument is that that's what you're worried about, right? You're not necessarily worried about how much oil and gas is being produced. You're worried about the emissions that are resulting from uh, that production. The other part of it is that you're not, if the government, if you're the government, if you if you tried to set a production cap, you're essentially guessing at what demand will be, what what the kind of efficiency of that production will be. It gets kind of complicated if you want to try to do a production cap. And so, by focusing on emissions, it essentially puts the kind of ball back in the in the industry's court to say, if you can produce oil and gas that's efficient and and isn't producing emissions, then then go for it. But you have to you have to kind of fall under this emissions cap. And so is the idea that that drives innovations in the production, like the technologies the, in the industry itself is driving innovations to reduce the output of emissions of, of oil and gas production? Is, is that essentially the, the basic logic of it? Yeah, that would be the hope. Uh, you know, obviously there are sort of different ways of measuring this. You know, some environmentalists would say, well, there should be a production cap because, you know, one way or another, this oil and gas is going to have emissions either in the production or in the burning of it when you, you know, when it reaches cars, for instance. But the the government's hope is that by focusing on emissions, you can essentially, you know, incentivize or or prod the, the, the industry itself to to produce it more efficiently. So can you maybe give me a, a sense of what does this framework mean for oil and gas producers in the sense like how's it going to change what they're already doing? Well, so that's a good question. The, the, the industry itself, you know, is saying a lot of the right things in terms of they're focused on net zero emissions. They're focused on reducing emissions. And uh, the cap essentially says, okay, great. Now you're going to have to get on with it. There have been you know, concerns that for all of the kind of talk about net zero emissions from the oil and gas industry, that we haven't yet seen the sort of investments and action that is necessary to actually get to net zero emissions. And so the cap in a way, you know, I don't I don't know that you would say it calls the industry's bluff, but it definitely calls the industry's bet and says, okay, if you really are committed to net zero emissions, now you have to actually get on with yeah. it. And so from that sense, both in a, on a practical and a political basis, the government 
you know, is kind of shifting the burden back onto industry to say, okay, let's, let's get, let's get on with it. Okay. And, and I want to get a little deeper into that, but before we do, this isn't working in isolations. Can you give me a sense of how this fits into the liberals broader climate plan? Yeah, it's so obviously there are, you know, numerous climate policies uh, at work now in terms of getting Canada's emissions down to its 2030 goal and then to net zero. And uh, the oil and gas cap is one piece of that. That said, it is a major piece of it. Um, if you look at emissions, you know, from 2005 to 20 to 2023 or for the most recent data, I guess we'd have 2022. Uh, it's not, you know, Canada's emissions are down, but it's uneven across the sectors. You know, you've seen a major drop in emissions from electricity, for instance, but then you look at something like oil and gas and emissions have gone up. Mm. And for all of the effort that has been put into driving emissions down in Canada, the progress, the ability to, to reach Canada's 2030 targets is severely compromised if oil and gas emissions keep going up. Right. And so for Canada to reach that, you know, newly ambitious target that the Trudeau government committed to, a 40% reduction in emissions by 2030, you really do need oil and gas emissions to go down. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just point out the last month, the federal environment commissioner said we're not on track to meet those 2030 goals, right? We're not. Uh <laughs> That's that's indisputable. The gap, though, the Climate Institute, the Canadian Climate Institute, has an interesting graph where it says, where it kind of plots out what are what the Canada's emissions trajectory looks like, depending on policies that exist, policies that are being developed, and policies that are being announced. And if you go by just the policies that are on paper that actually exist right now, the gap is quite large. If you go to all the policies that have been announced, the gap gets quite small. And so to even get really within shot of, of that 40% target, you need policies like this oil and gas emissions cap. And then also we've been, we've been talking about CO2 emissions, but the, the government's also going after methane emissions too, right? Yeah. And so that was the, they announced that a few days before they announced the cap. And it's really, I think, important to kind of view those policies in tandem because the regulations they've set for methane could significantly contribute to the oil and gas industry uh, reaching the targets that are now set for it. Uh, if they can reduce methane emissions, which are are sort of considered at this point kind of low-hanging fruit in terms of emissions cuts that you can make quickly, uh, if the oil and gas industry can cut methane emissions significantly over the next seven years, that'll go a long way towards the the industry reaching the kind of overall emissions cap. So in this case, those those two policies they might seem separate and like different burdens, but they, they really kind of work in combination. Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But... What if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. 
So let's talk about some of the reactions here. So uh, there's Alberta's premier, Danielle Smith, who's at COP28 as well, and she's had some harsh words for the plan. But today's announced de facto production cap on, on Alberta's oil and gas sector amounts to an intentional attack by the federal government on the economy of Alberta and the financial well-being of millions of Albertans and Canadians. Alberta owns our resources, and under the Constitution, we have the exclusive jurisdiction to develop them and to manage them. And we've done so. And she's had some harsher words for Stephen Guilbeault. The the attitude that that uh, Minister Guilbeault has taken towards our province is absolutely unacceptable. He's a menace. He's a menace to us. He's a menace to national unity. He is clearly destructive in trying to to get to some common ground, and that is on him. It's not on us. We have done everything we possibly can to uh, approach with a spirit of collaborative federalism. He is not. And I think his imperious attitude is one that should be rewarded with removal from his position. But if this framework allegedly won't hurt production, it's less strict than what was initially floated. What exactly is Smith pushing back against? So, you know, look, there's a lot of context here. I mean, the first is that it's a liberal government led by someone named Trudeau trying to impose uh, policy on uh, the oil and gas uh, sector in Canada. And that, you know, that is going to stir up a lot of uh, feelings and political reaction just as it has for, you know, 50 years now. Uh, that said, there is, so there's there's sort of two parts to it. One is that there is going to be a debate about what is technically feasible here for the, for the oil and gas industry to accomplish. The the, the Alberta argument is essentially that it's a de facto production cap because the emissions reductions that are required are uh, not possible to achieve without c- cutting production. The government's argument is essentially that they have gone to uh, great lengths to consult with industry, consult with experts, and they are setting targets that are technically achievable, that if if the industry, uh, you know, makes the necessary investments, pursues the, the necessary technology, they can actually reach these targets. I can tell you what we're trying to do with the most innovative sector in this country, which is the oil and gas sector, which is get to the greenest barrel of oil on the planet. Because the greenest barrel of oil on the planet is the one that the world's going to want first and most. And this is about saying to the world, think about it, we're the first heavy producer of oil and gas that's putting an emissions cap in place. And so the premier's off base. This is about reducing emissions, not putting a cap on production. We'll see how that kind of works out in the next little while. The other, but the other piece of this is that, you know, Daniel Smith herself is committed to net zero and has said that she's supportive of net zero. So, you know, we're kind of past the point now where it was an argument over whether or not emissions should decline. We're sort of now in a, in a debate about how mm-hmm. fast they should decline. And uh, that is a a certain amount of progress, I guess, that we are at least now talking about how and how quickly rather than whether or not. Mm -hmm. So, but Smith has has said that this is essentially targeting Alberta's economy, right? Yeah. The argument is that this has singled out the oil and gas industry, which is, of course, largely based in Alberta. Now, the the federal argument response to that is, look, there there are regulations for all sorts of different sectors. You know, to take one, the transportation sector is going to be subject to uh, regulations that say you have to sell, you know, a certain amount of zero emission vehicles uh, on a certain timeline. We will finalize regulation in the coming weeks to ensure that 100% of new cars sold in the country are zero emission vehicles by 2035. We've also published draft regulations to ensure our electrical grid is carbon neutral by 2035. 
The government's argument is essentially like, look, this is just one piece of all sorts of different regulations and every sector has to do its part. So Danielle Smith vowed on on Thursday last week to fight this. There's no question that if they continue on this path, it will end up with court. And I think we in court, and I think we will win. We have now seen... The- and Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe has also said his province will take steps to, quote, protect our constitutional right to build our economy. So, so I guess I'm curious, what do you think it might look like if these provinces fight back on this? So, I mean, the next scene of battle will probably be the courts, which has sort of <laughs> become a recurring storyline with the climate policy over the last decade. The, you know, the, the, the provinces can rightly point out that the government's, a couple of the government's regulations have run into trouble in the court system with the courts essentially saying there that the federal government has overreached, but the federal government can fall back on the idea that when there was a court challenge over carbon pricing specifically, the, the court came back and said, yeah, you know, the federal government does have the right to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. And so it's not obvious that this oil and gas cap is going to run into trouble, but it will almost certainly and inevitably be challenged. And, you know, we'll sort of have to see when it gets right down to it and, and they're going over the specifics of the regulations, whether or not the government, the federal government has done enough to kind of skirt uh, any jurisdictional challenges. Hmm. Okay, and let's talk about the oil and gas sector. How how has it reacted to this framework? You know, there's sort of been a varied response. I mean, I, I think that some, you know, the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers has come out and said these, has sort of echoed what Daniel Smith said, which is this cap on emissions is essentially a cap on production. At the same time, the Pathways Alliance, which is this group of a half dozen of the biggest producers of uh, oil from the oil sands, have come out and said, you know, we need some more time to study these regulations to decide what the impact is and decide what our our opinion of them is. The Pathways Alliance is interesting because it is this group that has been very loudly sort of touting its quote-unquote plan to reduce emissions and hit net zero by 2050. If the Pathways Alliance comes back and says, this is doable for us, that will, you know, help the government's case to a certain extent, but they also don't represent the entirety of the oil and gas industry. And so opinions are going to diverge on this. Uh, and it's really going to kind of come out, I think, in the actual implementation of this to see exactly how it impacts every single player throughout the system. On the other side of the criticism here, there's the reaction from the NDP, and which has been that the Liberal government isn't going far enough. And it's, and again, I'll quote, it's pandering to the oil and gas industry. So, so tell me more about the NDP criticism. Yeah. So there's sort of two arguments coming back at the government from the, from the other side of this debate. One is that they're not demanding enough of a cut. You know, there was an argument going into this that the oil and gas industry should be, should be made to uh, match the the national you know target for a 2030 cut uh, a cut of 40 percent by 2030 but the other argument is that they're not moving quite fast enough you know these regulations this cap was supposed to come earlier than it has and they're there it's important to remember that we're not yet at the point where these regulations are actually coming into place we've just seen a framework now there will have to be draft regulations sometime next year and then the actual regulations at some point after that 
So we're looking at a system that might not be fully in place until 2026. And one of the arguments that has come from not only in the NDP, but uh, others is that this should be up much sooner than that. So, you know, that's another argument for the for the government to knock, to try to to deal with. I just, you know, they've, this is sort of the eternal debate or fight on climate policy, though, is that whenever you do something, you know, once one uh, sector says, oh, you're asking way too much and you're moving way too fast. And then another <laughs> another section of, of public opinion says, you're not asking nearly enough and you're moving way too slow. Right. And and we saw a really good example of that last week with the 24-hour voting session in the House. The federal conservatives have launched a marathon voting session in the House of Commons as part of their opposition to the liberal government's carbon tax. We have successfully killed a day of government business. This is one less day that Justin Trudeau will have to implement his destructive agenda that is... Dividing. So a different issue than this framework. But my point is, you know, the conservatives just straight up hate the idea, right? So tell me about their reaction to the framework. So their reaction was, I guess, as you might expect, to criticize it and, you know, more or less kind of line up with the opinion coming out of Alberta and Saskatchewan that this is, you know, bad policy and it, and it's, and it shouldn't be imposed. Uh, you know, the major asterisks with that response being that we don't yet know what the federal conservatives would do instead. Mm-hmm. We don't know what their alternative proposal would be. Uh you know, I think the federal government is facing pressure on a lot of sides right now on climate policy. Mm-hmm. I think the best argument they can make for themselves as they put these pieces together is that they're getting closer and closer to that 2030 goal. And, you know, that would at least give them an argument that some kind of progress is being made. Part of the problem they have with making the argument on carbon pricing alone is that, you know, they haven't been able to say, look, we're on target to meet our 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 international commitments, and that's why this policy is important. Mm. And uh, without that kind of piece of being able to say you can meet your target, the whole case for what they're doing climate-wise gets a bit weaker. So that's where another play, another way that this cap kind of really is key to the liberal argument because it is such a key piece of getting to 2030. All right, Aaron, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Right, that's all for today. I'm Damon Fairless. Thanks for listening to Front Burner, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.